Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I've got a wonderful show planned for you. Uh, Rob Louie is going to come on in just a minute, which means if you have a question for Rob, you can always text it over. I will ask Rob anonymously on your behalf, 877-933-2484. It's always nice to have a Washington, D.C. correspondent, and Rob's our guy. And then also after that, Dr. Greg Borgon, just returning from Ireland, where he was over with his grandson. We're going to talk about Ecclesiastes with him. And then in hour two, Dr. Glenn Pickering will be my guest. So it's going to be a great show. Rob is the executive editor at The Daily Signal, and he's a weekly guest of mine. Always nice to have him on. Rob, welcome. Thanks, Bill. It's always good to join you. Thank you. So let's talk about budget, Rob. If if no agreement is is reached by the end of the fiscal year, uh, I, what's the government going to shut down? What are they going to do? Yeah, well, and it's quickly approaching. It, you know, it seems like we're always in this scenario, aren't we? Uh, yeah. Why can't uh, Congress do the one thing that it's it's <laughs> supposed to do, and that's pass twelve different appropriations bills? But uh, we we didn't have that happen earlier this year. Uh, you might recall that they, um, you know, regularly uh, punt on this uh, this opportunity, and we often end up in a situation where they pass what is called a continuing resolution, mm-hmm. which basically just carries over the spending levels from one year to the next. And the fiscal year, as you mentioned, ends on Friday, September 30th. So it's coming up next week. Right. And that means that there is a lot of maneuvering taking place in Washington, D.C. this week and next uh, to, for people to try to get what they want in these bills. Now, the big debate is whether or not this is going to kick over into the new Congress next year or if they will try to delay this until sometime in mid-December, which seems more likely and then they'll have another opportunity right before Christmas to pack the spending bills full of all sorts of goodies that they'll take home to their taxpayers. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the reason that I think that that is probably more likely at this point is that you have a number of, uh, well, first of all, you have Democrats who are in control of both the House, the Senate, and the White House. So, I mean, they ultimately are going to be the ones that write it and decide what the date is. Uh, but they also recognize that they might be in a situation where they lose one or both houses of Congress in this November election. And so we have a situation after November 8th where there will be a lame duck session of Congress and they will try to do their best to, to stuff these bills with all sorts of pork and uh, and, and pass a bill. Uh, you better believe that Republicans and some of the conservatives are already sounding alarms on that because they want the opportunity to write those bills in the new Congress should they get control of the House. Yeah, Rob, now when I, I want to ask you this question, but and please don't laugh at me. Is Congress close to a, a bipartisan agreement on the budget? I think there are certain things that they're probably more likely to agree on than others. Okay. For instance, um, there is general consensus that the supplemental spending bill that will come alongside this for Ukraine uh, is going to be um, generally supported. However, there are a number of people, we've, we've now devoted $53 billion to Ukraine since the beginning of the oh, year, since the war started with money. Russia. That is a lot of money. That's a lot of money than, than many government agencies uh, you know, get in, in a single year. And by the way, it's more money than Europe has has contributed to Ukraine combined. 
Wow. Um, so, I mean, the United States is really the one shouldering the big load. Now, we know from our military analysts that Ukraine needs support, particularly for military operations. I think the reason that you saw some people starting to raise questions and and ask uh, ask if it, the, the last tranche, which was $40 billion, was worth it is because that money was going toward other things besides the military, including uh, you know a slush fund in the government to pay for Ukrainian pensions and other things of that nature. So there, there has generally been consensus around Ukraine. I think that there will be more of a debate this time. Um, when it comes to spending levels in general, as you and I often bemoan on, on your show, uh, there doesn't seem to be as much concern about the national debt uh, as there once was. I think that uh, lawmakers probably need to hear from their constituents if they're going to take that spending issue more seriously. And then there are some policy things that are in the bills that I think will get people somewhat animated. Obviously, debates over the border wall or where you you know spend the money when it comes to combating illegal immigration, uh, whether or not you want to continue some of the green energy policies that this administration has pursued. There are funding in there to enforce the vaccine mandates, uh, which, you know, this is this president has said that COVID is over, <laughs> you know, so why they're still spending money on things of that nature, I'm not quite sure. But um, it, it, it's likely to to be drowned out because you will have a situation where they're going to rush this thing through at the last minute. It's probably going to be punted until December, and that's when the real debate will begin. And, and hopefully at that point, uh, they'll have another continuing resolution that will allow the new Congress uh, to debate these issues as opposed to having a, a year-long uh, spending plan that would uh, ha- carry forward some of these bad provisions. Bill, the one good news is that the Democrats, I know this is an issue of concern uh, to a lot of your ris- listeners and a lot of, a lot of others who, who care about the issue of life, they are not going to try to undo the Hyde Amendment. And the Hyde Amendment has been in place for decades, and that prohibits the, the spending of, of federal dollars on abortion. And so that is uh, inc- an encouraging sign that the, the Democrats abandon that. It has had bipartisan support for many years. And in fact, it wasn't until Joe Biden, until he was campaigning, withdrew his support uh, that even he was uh, somebody who backed it when he was uh, a senator. Mm-hmm. Rob, what is your perspective on polling? You know, I, you hear polls that come out all the time, and I'm, I'm wondering how legit they are and how much weight they carry. What are your, what is your thoughts on those? Well, they certainly carry a lot of weight when it comes to, to you know, shifting um, the narrative around certain campaigns or certain policy issues. So, I mean, let, let's like let's take a candidate for instance. If a, if a candidate is perceived to be in a competitive race. Uh, you may have super PACs and other organizations come in and be willing to spend more money on advertising. So, I mean, they do influence decisions, financial de- decisions in that regard. When it comes to, to to policy issues or polls, I think that they're helpful in measuring the American people's sentiment on certain things. Uh, for instance, uh, we we have seen consistently that the economy and inflation rates is the, the number one issue that Americans care about. We've seen an uptick in the number of people uh, who say that abortion and life issues will be a deciding factor in, in their vote. And so I think from that standpoint, Bill, it helps us just you know take a snapshot in time but we can't put too much weight behind them. After all, uh, you know, polling has, has proven to be quite wrong in the past. You have to look no farther than the 2016 election. Right. And even on election night, uh, you know, all of the major pollsters were predicting Hillary Clinton's victory and Donald Trump surprised everyone. Yeah. I was just wondering with pollsters, you know, whether it's a Republican pollster polling a Democrat or a Democratic pollster polling a Republican, 
Would they consider it hostile territory? I mean, how much information do I want to be passing on to a person? Well, that, that is true. I mean, there, there have been some interesting combinations where you have Republican pollsters working with Democratic pollsters. And I think that that probably lends a little bit more credibility in the eyes of, of voters. And, uh, and, and certainly when you, you know, have that, that sharing of information or when you have that kind of collaboration, it's not seen as a, a partisan or an ideological poll. Um, but, you know, I, I think that most pollsters uh, want to maintain their credibility. They, they want to be known as, as, as individuals who can predict things accurately. I mean, so often after elections or uh, there are, you know, our, 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 our big votes, uh, you have pollsters who brag about the fact that they came within, you know, a certain <laughs> margin of error in terms of their poll. And so uh, there's a lot of pride that goes on in, in the polling industry. But I think as, uh, as we've seen too often, uh, it's it's the sampling. So they'll mm-hmm. either undersample Republicans or undersample Democrats. And if you don't have the right sample, so like, for instance, what I mean by that is there, Republicans may be more motivated to come out and vote in a particular state. Well, if your poll doesn't take into account what percentage of Republicans are going to vote, you may have the numbers wrong. Uh, same thing goes with Democrats. And I think right now what, what we're having a hard time figuring out is we've heard a lot of stories about how Democrats Democrats are more mobilized because of the Dobbs decision coming out of the Supreme Court. But we really don't know if that's going to translate into more votes. Uh, and, and that's why there's a lot up in the air about whether or not Republicans are going to have a big win when it comes to the U.S. House of Representatives or whether it's going to be a more narrow margin. Mm-hmm. Are Republicans going to take control of the Senate or are Democrats going to be able to maintain control and maybe get enough votes to undo the filibuster and, and change Senate rules in a way that would allow them to pass a whole you know, sweeping agenda. So just a, a lot of unknowns at this point. Uh, I think the, the, the one thing that w- we can tell from past experience is that within the last couple of weeks of a campaign is when you really start to see the polls solidify and we'll have some better answers. Um, so, you know, maybe uh, check back with me in, in yeah. mid-October. Trust me, I will. Rob Blue is my guest. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. Rob, let's move from polling to the voting booth. What do we think about how much confidence do we have going into this election cycle in terms of election integrity? Well, there is definitely, hopefully, more confidence because several states have taken steps to secure their elections and they put in place measures that I think uh, will give voters more confidence. But, Bill, you know, I was just in, in Atlanta, Georgia last week for a Family Research Council event um, at, at a Baptist church there. And, and I'll tell you, uh, I, in talking to people, I mean, there's still a lot of concern in that state in particular, even though it has taken some steps uh, to improve its elections because of what happened last time. Uh, you'll remember that Georgia was one of the states where there was a big dispute over the presidential election and President Trump making phone calls to the Secretary of State and and pressuring the governor. Mm-hmm. And then you had uh, two runoff elections, neither of the, the U.S. Senate races, uh, which were both uh, being contested in 2020, uh, went to runoff elections. And you had a lot of Republicans who decided to stay home because they just questioned the outcome. And I think that that's unfortunate. I think that, you know, if there are lingering concerns still two years later, uh, that could depress turnout. Uh, that's not good. Um, I, I don't care what side of the political aisle you're, you're on. I think you should have trust in our elections. And, and if you don't, there's a legislative uh, means uh, for going about making those changes when it comes to your state lawmakers. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to say. I think it's one of those things where elections are run at the state level, Bill. So, you know, you almost have to look at it state by state and see who is doing well. 
I can tell you we measure all of the states, all 50 of them at the Heritage Foundation with our election integrity scorecard. And uh, it's refreshing to see that 20 some states have made improvements, but there are still that have a lot of ways to go. That's good news. Rob Bluey is my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. When we come back from break, I want to ask him about a particular airplane that landed at a particular vacation spot. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome to the show. Rob Louie is my guest on our studio line right now. If you have a question for Rob, you can text it over. The text line is open, 877-933-2484. So Rob, a certain plane with a certain number of people land in a certain vacation spot called Martha's Vineyard. What's your perspective on that? Well, you know, Bill, it's uh, one of those issues that had it seemed to fade from the news for a while, and and this has certainly uh, <laughs> put it back front and center on on in the headlines. That's for sure. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis and Governor uh, uh, Greg Abbott of Texas um, have have decided that they are going to use planes, buses, and other means of transportation to deliver illegal immigrants who've crossed the border to other destinations, uh, primarily blue states or states led by, by Democrats. And in this particular case, Governor DeSantis sent the plane to Martha's Vineyard as, a, uh, as an effort to demonstrate to the residents of, of, of that location, which have in, the residents have indicated their support for sanctuary policies, uh, what, te- what Texas and Florida have, you know, felt on, on almost a daily basis with the influx of immigrants. Um, so, you know, it is a, it's, a, it's an issue that I know is very politically contentious. I know that there are some, many of your listeners, I would imagine, who see it as a political stunt. There are others who say there's no other way to get these Democrat uh, elected officials to pay attention. Uh, it's happening at the same time that Vice President uh, Kamala Harris is saying the border is secure. So, you know, it, it's uh, it's frustrating. Uh, it's frustrating to see the numbers go up and up at month after month, uh, set new records all the time. And until there's a change in the policy at the federal government, um, I think that you're going to see state leaders, uh, you know, trying to galvanize, uh, you know, their, their own law enforcement to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been some states that have wanted to go so far as to call it an invasion. Uh, other states have held back and, and not declared an invasion yet. Uh, but that's that's one thing that the states have debated. And, uh, and, and you know, it's happening right here in, in my own backyard because Governor Abbott has sent, uh, sent some of the buses to the vice president's uh, Naval Observatory home. And, uh, and D.C. is... You know, considering measures to create an you know office of migrant services and things of that nature to to, to deal with it, um, so it's uh, it certainly sparked a debate uh, on on both sides of the aisle and something that I I would expect is going to resonate with voters come November. Mm-hmm. Rob Bluey, here's a question. I wonder if Rob could talk about digital currency like the government seems to be discussing something like this in the near future. 
Yeah, well, I mean, look, this is uh, this is certainly something that I, I would imagine is going to, to ramp up as, as an issue. Um, there's a, a lot of potential here, and there's a lot of uh, uh, pitfalls uh, for the government to get involved and start regulating uh, yeah. digital currency. And I, I think that that's one of the... One of the reasons we should be skeptical anytime we see the government wanting to, to take control over something or propose rules, uh, a, a, you know, particularly at a time when something in its infancy that's starting to take off, uh, you know, you, you don't necessarily want to stifle that growth and you don't want the government necessarily stepping in and putting in arbitrary rules that aren't well defined. So I, uh, I would treat any proposal a little bit skeptically, Bill. Uh, I always am somebody who favors letting the free market uh, sort these things out uh, when it comes to, to new innovations. And this seems like an area where it's, uh, it, it's prone to, to you know, face some regulatory hurdles, uh, cryptocurrency as well. Um, so we'll just yeah, you know, have to keep a close eye on that. Mm-hmm. Here's another question, Rob. Mr. Trump's reputation has taken serious hits with the classified documents affair. Why is he still considered powerful and someone to be wooed? Well, I think you have to look no farther than his record on on making endorsements in in political races. And Mm -hmm. so as long as he is able to mobilize voters to support candidates that he has endorsed, I think he will continue to maintain political influence. Uh, I I don't disagree with the the premise of the question. I, I think that there are uh, among some even Republicans uh, they're you know asking questions about what's going on. I think there are some who who view what's what's going on as, as a witch hunt uh, against the, the the former president and un, frankly unprecedented. Mm-hmm. So you know you have people who fall on either side of, of the, the uh, you know opinion on that one as uh, as you know Trump has done now for six plus years, he definitely, uh, brings out uh, strong feelings in people. And there are people who he has endorsed who have gone on to win uh, in, in races that they probably wouldn't have otherwise had a chance mm-hmm. uh, at winning uh, because he had they, he, they, they had his endorsement. Uh, I, I mean, think about the Ohio and Arizona candidates for Senate, J.D. Vance and Blake Masters, who were both, you know, um, in tight races who ended up winning fairly decisively as a result of Trump's endorsement. So that's why I think he continues to maintain power. Mm-hmm. Going back to our earlier question about the plane load that went to Martha's Vineyard, the question uh, is, didn't the Biden administration do a similar thing by sending the immigrants to New Hampshire and New York in the dark of the night, or or am I misinformed? No, 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 that is, that he's not misinformed. That is, uh, that is true. Uh, the Biden administration was sending those flights. We've covered it on the Daily Signal and Bill Malugin at Fox News, I believe, has done some excellent reporting on that issue. So uh, absolutely. I think that the difference here, if you were to ask, uh, you know, somebody who um, is, is coming at this from the White House or from, from you know, a, a Democratic congressional office, they they are obviously upset that they are targeting these specific destinations, which happen to be, you know, the vice president's residence or Martha's Vineyard, which has made some noise about being a sanctuary location. And so uh, that's why it's, it's generating the headlines. Uh, I did think that, um, you know, some of the people who live in those locations who showed, you know, very little willingness to, to accept the illegal immigrants and, and, you know, wanted them out within mere hours, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it shows like what, what the real life consequences and effects are. And for instance, we've gone down to the Texas 
Mexico border and talk to ranchers who've had their property overrun. I mean, there are there are Bill uh, very real life consequences that they endure on a daily basis that uh, I think those of us who who don't see that up close uh, experience. And so it's their way, the go- governor of Texas and governor of Florida's way of, of bringing the border crisis to their backyard. Mm-hmm. Rob, as we get closer to the midterms, is it still a gas and groceries election? I think primarily it is, Bill. Uh, the, the price of gas obviously has come down, but inflation was still high just as of last week. Uh, the latest report showing that's still uh, above 8%. It's, uh, it's an issue where many Americans are, are feeling the effects of it. I mean, look at the, the stock market as well. I mean, it's it, you know taken a nosedive when, when these reports have come out. Uh, the same day that the, the president was celebrating the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, you, you know, you had horrible uh, economic news um, coming out. Uh, so it is it is going to be the dominant issue in, in the election. I think the, the big question is, you know, it, and, and we'll find out Friday, frankly, what, what are what what are the alternatives? What are the solutions that Republicans are going to put forward to fix this problem? Mm-hmm. And the reason I say we're going to find out Friday is because. The House Minority Leader, Kevin McCarthy, has said that the Republicans are going to unveil their commitment to America uh, outside of Pittsburgh on Friday, and we'll get some details about what their plan includes. Uh, up until this point, there have been individual members of Congress, like Senator Rick Scott, um, who have put out their proposals, but the party as a whole hasn't coalesced around an agenda like they did in 1994 with the contract with America. So they're going to try to, to, to present these issues, to nationalize the election in a way that, that mobilizes people uh, around a set of issues. And, uh, you know, we'll have to see if that, if that works or, or not. I think that the American people are, are tired of empty promises, broken promises, and they want to see something done about it. Mm-hmm. Rob Lewis, my guest, and Rob, on Sunday, September 18th, just a couple of days ago, uh, President Joe Biden declared that the COVID pandemic is over. Uh, so do we see that happening all across the country? Are kids all the way back in school with no masks or what's going on? I still see plenty of people wearing masks in Washington, D.C. Okay. So, so Biden, yeah. in Biden's own backyard, you know, people are not necessarily embracing that point of view. Uh, I, I, I Look, I, I think that if there is one good thing to come out of this, it means that the billions of dollars that the White House was asking for in, in emergency COVID funding are probably now dead on arrival when it comes to Congress. Because, you know, how can how can Congress appropriate, you know, tens of billions of dollars for more COVID funding if the president himself is saying that, that the pandemic is over? So if there's any good news to come out of the president's comments, that might be it. Mm-hmm. And are kids back in school without masks or are there still some districts that are supporting the use of masks? Oh, they're, they're still supporting the use of masks. And my own kids report to me that even though it's voluntary in their school, that there are still plenty of kids who, who wear masks all the time. And wow. I, I just don't know. I mean, I still see ma- people wearing masks in my, my church. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, it's a personal choice, Bill. I'm, you know, I'm not going to cast judgment on yeah. people, uh, what they want to do. But I, I don't know when that's going to stop, frankly, right. if it'll ever work. I have no problem with people if they would feel a little bit more comfortable uh, wearing a mask for their own health. I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. Well, it's certainly one thing. Uh, we all know that when we isolated, uh, nobody got sick. And I, I can tell you, Bill, that <laughs> my kids have brought home plenty of, plenty of colds already <laughs> in the first four weeks of school. Yeah. Well, Rob, thanks so much for uh, your time today. I look forward to our next uh, conversation next week. Thanks, Bill. It's yeah. always great to talk to you. Yeah, thank you so much. Rob Louie has been my guest. He is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can go learn about that at dailysignal.com. 
dailysignal.com. That's dailysignal.com. After a short break, Dr. Greg Borgon's in, and we're going to talk about Ecclesiastes. Okay, after some time in Ireland, Dr. Greg <laughs> Borgon has returned. I'd like to say it's great to see him, but I think he'd rather still be in Ireland. Isn't I that true, Greg? certainly would. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to spin your mic around a little bit oh, if you yeah, don't yeah, mind. Yeah, Thank I you so much. Would. You get out of the studio for five weeks. I don't even know how to use yeah, the microphone. Yeah, you guys have trained me all over again, Bill. But you had a wonderful time? Oh, we had a great time. You took the, a couple of your grandsons? Yeah, and they, yeah, seeing Ireland through their eyes. Now, I've been there eight times, but this was their first time. So they saw things that I took for granted, you know, and it, the way they responded, it just uh, was amazing. Mm-hmm. And what were their ages? Uh, uh, Galen is 21 and Kieran is 22. Okay. And are they uh, big time eaters? Oh, gee whiz. They almost broke my budget. <laughs> Three meals plus desserts every meal. Yeah. And, oh, well, my word. Yeah. Well, they had, they needed the energy. I had to plan ahead. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> So it's nice to have you back. I want to talk a little bit about Ecclesiastes. Yes. My favorite book, Uh, one of my favorite books, it's right up there at the the top of my list of favorite books, simply because um, it paints such an accurate picture of living life and giving your whole life to things that really don't matter over time but seem to matter at the moment. When you live your life apart from a relationship with God— you can accomplish some great things, but the satisfaction is momentary. I mean, it's just fleeting. And like Solomon said, it ends up being meaningless over time. Mm-hmm. And then he juxtaposes that against living for God. That was his final conclusion. It, 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 some people, when they look at the book of Ecclesiastes, they might think it's kind of pessimistic, but it's, it's not really. I, again, one of the things, Bill, I love about the Word of God, it's not politically correct. It just tells you the way it is. And so uh, he experienced life in every venue that we desire to experience life, but came up empty-handed. And so that's one of the reasons why I like the book, because it paints that accurate picture, because the only other alternative is to live for God. Mm. And uh, that gives you purpose, meaning, focus, intentionality for your life. I also would like to quote Fred, Frederick Buchner, who just died at age 96, And he said, the world says, the more you take, the more you have. Christ says, the more you give, the more you are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Talk about the the vanity of riches and and what Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes. Well, you know, Neil Anderson makes this great quote. He says, it's not what you do in life that determines who you are. It's who you are in Christ that will determine the impact of what you do. Yeah, you really can't know who you are until you know who you are in Christ. That's right. You've yeah. got to go back to your creator and understand that God mm-hmm. superintended your formation. You, We'll put you together in your mother's womb. He gave you your talents and your abilities and is expecting a return on his investment. <laughs> Amen. Well, anyway, the book of Ecclesiastes, just as kind of an intro, Bill, he, Solomon, who wrote the book, it had actually written in about 935 uh, B.C., just near the end of his 40-year reign. 
And so he not only has the benefit of wisdom because God gave him that gift, but he also has the benefit of experience and age as he looks at life. And so he's reminiscing and writing down what his experiences were, having touched every venue of life that uh, seems desirable to most people. So he reflects on his life and he evaluates the results of, of his activities, finding some of value, but most meaningless uh, when engaged for the specific purpose of self-actualization. We hear a lot about that today, how to become self-actualized. Now, he completed some great projects. I mean, he built houses, he planted vineyards, he made gardens and parks, he planted fruit trees, he made reservoirs, he had slaves, he owned herds and flocks, he amassed silver and gold, he acquired singers, and he had a harem. <laughs> and, and we all know about that. And he also addressed some pretty significant philosophies that are relevant today, wisdom being certainly one of them, but wickedness, oppression, labor, achievement, the the tongue and, and how dangerous that can be if not guarded, justice, materialism, and all about wealth. He makes a statement in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Wow. What a way to come to the end of your life. And I think there are people today who have invested their whole life, maybe in their job, uh, maybe in their vocation, and kind of barreled through their life. Now they're at the end of their life, and they look back on what they've accomplished often a field of in relationships are broken because of unkept promises, of put off uh, plans, and and they come up empty because their whole identity is wrapped up in what they've done, and now it's taken away from them. Right, and so many of them come to a point of despair and depression. Some, sadly enough, feel it's it's not worth living anymore. So um, it, the book of Ecclesiastes, I, I think, is really relevant for today because everything that we put our trust in today has betrayed us. Every organization we belong to in many cases have disappointed us. Um, everything we put our effort into has come up short. And so we're at that point that we need to make a decision. So anyway, um, the practical application, I think, of, of the book of Ecclesiastes is it offers a Christian an opportunity to understand the emptiness and despair that those who don't know God grapple with. Those who do not have a saving faith in Christ are faced with a life that will ultimately end and become irrelevant. If there is no salvation and no God, then not only is there no point to life, but no purpose or direction to it either. The world under the sun, <clears throat> apart from God, is frustrating, cruel, unfair, brief, and as Solomon said, utterly meaningless. But mm -hmm. with Christ, life is but a shadow of the glories to come in heaven that are only accessible through him. So you're faced with a choice. There's no middle ground here. Either you live your life on your own terms or you live your life on the terms that God created for you and God ordained before you ever came to be. Mm -hmm. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. We're in Ecclesiastes, if you have your Bible open. It's a fascinating study. Yeah. So let me give you some interesting facts, first of all, about the book of Ecclesiastes. The term under the sun 
is found only in Ecclesiastes, and it's in there 29 times. Hmm. Uh, also, the term under heaven, which, which is similar, it's found three times. Now, this phrase implies that life lived by purely earthly and human values without recourse to a supernatural level of reality is meaningless. Anytime the phrase appears, uh, Solomon's commenting from the perspective of someone living their life on a horizontal plane apart from a vertical relationship with God. So under the sun simply means if you choose to live your life on a horizontal plane devoid of any relationship with your heavenly father, your creator, any relationship with Christ's finished work on the cross, any empowerment by the Holy Spirit, in the world's eyes, you might look like you've accomplished a lot, but you draw away yourself and look at it in a moment of honesty and say, why did I give my life to all of that? Mm. I'm only going to turn it over to somebody else who might destroy it. Why, why did I do this? So that's, uh, that, that phrase, under the sun, which is, again is only in Ecclesiastes, is a powerful statement. Also, the phrase chasing after the wind is found nine times, also found only in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's often connected whenever you see, as you read the book, with uh, meaningless, that life is meaningless. So those two are connected. Now, the term meaningless is the most frequently used in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's found 49 times. The last time is in, in Ecclesiastes 12. It is found three other times in the Bible, in Job 27, uh, verse 12, Isaiah 113, and 1 Timothy 1.6. So as a quality of life under the sun, this image connotes emptiness or uh, how fragile life is, how elusive it is, and how brief it is. Here I am at 74 years of my age, and I was talking to my wife on the deck the other day, and I said, what happened, honey, to all those years? It seems like it was, just like Scripture says, a mist that appears for a short time and then vanishes while you're in the midst of it. And when you're young, you think you've got so much ahead of you. But as the years pile up, you wonder, what happened to them? And more importantly, what was accomplished in living them? So we'll come to that kind of a difficult question in our life. Um, the word wisdom is found 30 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, the last time in chapter 12, verse 1. And the word heart, one of my favorite metaphors in the Bible that talks about actually the soul of a human being is found 30 times the last time in, in uh, Ecclesiastes 11.10. So what I'd like to do, Bill, is just as, as much time as we have, unwrap a couple of passages and to see what they have to tell us, what lessons can we learn from Solomon. So let's first of all look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 3 through 11, which represents for me that life goes on. And here's what it says. What does a man gain from all his labor at which the, they toil under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough seeing. Um, my wife says that, you know, as many times I've been to Ireland, been there eight times, that if I put together all the pictures, I'll have a mosaic of the whole island. But I always find reasons to take pictures, even mm -hmm. though I've been there several times. So I relate to this. So, you know, it's, it's constantly seeing. It's constantly uh, being a, a aware of what's around you. He goes on to say, nor the ear it's filling. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything which one can say, look, this is something new? 
It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who will follow. Mm. So the question I, you have to ask, well, wait a minute. That's not how I understand Scripture. Is Solomon's conclusion true, that there's nothing new under the sun? Well, under the sun, that may be true. I mean, if you're living your life devoid, again, of any relationship with your Heavenly Father, any sense of the eternal, um, you'll conclude that. But in Christ, it says in Scripture that there are multiple things that are new. He has given us a new commandment to love one another in John chapter 13. We have new life in the Spirit, Romans chapter 7. In Him, we're a new creation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He gives us a new self. He gives us a new uh, and living way, it says in Scripture. He is the mediator of a new covenant. There will be new heavens and a new earth. He will make all things new. So there are some things new, but only in Christ. If we're looking for something new, it's found in Christ. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be in our observations of life living under the sun. Mm -hmm. So life apart from God is indeed meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Activity without purpose is meaningless. And the only one that can give us purpose, intentionality, and focus for our life is our Creator. I'm, I'm in full agreement, Dr. Greg Borgon. So thank you for that. That's a great unpacking of that verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Thank you for that. I'm delighted to know there are new things under the sun, but they are all made new in Christ. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. Yep, yep. All right, let's look at another passage. Let's uh, maybe start that one after the break. If okay. that's Good. A-OK with you, sure. Dr. Greg Borgon, once again, is my guest. We're talking about Ecclesiastes and... Uh, we're going to continue with, when we come back, we're going to uh, try to take a look at Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 17 to 23. First day with my new mouth. I'll be right back. <laughs> we want to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're creating encouraging posts every day to help you focus on the important things as you spend time on social media. From graphics that feature Bible verses and quotes from our hosts and show guests, to articles about topics you are interested in, to videos from our hosts. Search Faith Radio on social media sites to connect with us today. There's the music that says Dr. Greg Borgon is in studio. That's a gladiator theme song. And his ministry is heartofawarrior.org. Heartofawarrior.org. We're going to talk about Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And you can't take it with you. And I've heard that expression where they say, the person who dies with the most toys wins. I would say the what person. What a fallacy. <laughs> yeah, I would say the person who dies with the most toys Forces family to have biggest garage sale. <laughs> That's my take on biggest it. Biggest argument with the lawyers. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so the passage begins in verse 17. So I hated life. This is Solomon speaking again. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And he knows, and who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. 
Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all of my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind doesn't rest. This too is meaningless. So, you know, what we can draw from that is naked we came into the world and naked we shall leave the world. Things acquired will be things lost. Ultimately, you can't take anything with you. The only thing that remains are relationships that have been forged over time, that have been established. Uh, They'll continue on. You know, what I found interesting in studying Ecclesiastes, even though Solomon was given the gift of wisdom, there is no... Uh, guarantee that just because you're wise, you're going to make wise decisions. Mm -hmm. And so it has its limits. It requires uh, intentionality. It requires a decision that you're going to act on what you've observed and what you become wise about. And that's where he failed in many cases. Even though he had this great gift of wisdom, he didn't always make the wisest decisions. Then we look at a, another passage that's familiar probably to your listeners. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8 is often quoted by secular people. It's, and I call it the pendulum of, of life. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep. And it goes on and on about these things that are opposed to one another that happen over the course of time. So the point is, life happens in between our plans, Bill. Mm -hmm. There is a proper time and procedure for every matter, according to Ecclesiastes 8.6, even though anxiety weighs heavily on our soul. There is an ebb and flow to it that this passage is identifying. We can't predict or foresee life ahead, but we can prepare for whatever comes our way if we live a centered life. If we're Mm -hmm. trying to live a balanced life, we're constantly under tension, trying to adjust to everything that comes our way, um, and uh, we end up losing our balance. So if we live a centered life, then whatever comes our way, God will give us the ability uh, to deal with it. So we can't predict or foresee life ahead, but we can prepare for what comes our way. Mm-hmm. Circumstances, events, and encounters may be out of our control, but how we respond to whatever comes our way in our control through Christ in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's what matters. I agree. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. We're in the book of Ecclesiastes. I think if we can now, Greg, I think we have time. Let's move on to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 10 through 11, which there's eternity in every soul. Yeah, this this is a powerful uh, passage for me. I mean, when I first came across it, um, and it came out to me like a neon light, I came to the conclusion... Nothing happens to us by coincidence. We're not a mistake. Um, uh, You know, we're not a happenstance because this passage clearly demonstrates something. Let me read it for us. I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Now, here's what I want the audience to pay attention to. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. 
What so does what, that mean? What that tells us is that God has given us a sense of the eternal, something of the supernatural that's embedded at every soul, and it compels every human being, man or woman, regardless of era, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of locale, to ask questions, these three uh, questions, over and over again. Uh, so what we see is God's DNA is given to every living soul and compels us to seek answers to the most important questions in our life. And here's what they are. Why am I here? It has everything to do with purpose. The second question is, am I making any advancement which has everything to do with progress? And then finally, am I making any worthwhile contribution that matters, which is all about permanence? So we'll ask those questions or variation thereof throughout the course of our life, especially when we're feeling unappreciated or thinking that we haven't done anything of any consequence. And we know that there's more to life beyond that because the eternal is in us that mm-hmm. compels us to ask those questions, a sense of the eternal. Yeah. Greg, might that last question be kind of a tough one? I mean, why am I here? I'm here to, to know God and make him known. Let's just say that would be my answer right now. Am I making any advancement? Well, I certainly hope so. But am I making any worthwhile contributions that matter? Now, that would be decided by God, wouldn't it? Because It would be decided by God, but when you have a perspective on the eternal, you come to the realization that for some unfathomable reason, infinite God has chosen us as finite creatures to facilitate his redemptive purposes in a fallen world. And so the question really is couched in, in that backdrop. Uh, what of any consequence have I done for the kingdom of God? Mm-hmm. And that's where the focus should be. Um, we can say that we've got a building named after us or we've acquired a great deal of wealth. But unless we've used those wonderful things that, that have come our way to facilitate God's redemptive purposes, what worth are they? Mm-hmm. So that's the important thing about, you know, am I giving my life to things that really matter, right. that okay. have eternal consequence? Yeah. That's okay. the issue. Yeah. Because I was thinking of going and, say, doing ministry in the inner city, and you say after 10 years of doing that, I don't know if anyone's ever paying attention to me. And one day you die and you get to heaven and you go, wow, look at all these inner city people I talked to. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, not only only that, at the judgment seat of Christ, when God is expecting a return on his investment for what we've done in, in the faith, it's going to be revealed to us where God says to us, here's what you have done that matters. Exactly. And, and we're going to be astounded because it's probably going to be the small things that we don't anticipate were of any meaning or that we didn't receive any response from right, or right. any results. That's going to be fun. That is going to be wonderful. Mm-hmm. Let's just uh, close, if we could, with, with this last one. We'll go jump all the way ahead to Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Um, now, all has been heard, he says. Now, this is his conclusion after painting this, this picture. Here is the conclusion of the matter, he says. Fear God. And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So when we appear, Bill, before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for what we've done with what God's given us, what evidence will we present that represents a good return on his investment? So these are the consequences. There are consequences to every single action. And so it isn't that our eternal security after we receive crisis in jeopardy. It's the rewards God will give us and what we will be doing in the kingdom that will never end. Mm, wow. That is, that is some good, uh, good study, good teaching, Dr. Greg Borgon. I, I love that 
now that all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And what we mean by fear God is having an abject respect for the majesty of our creator and understand that we're not here by mistake. We're here for a purpose, a divine purpose that he knew us before we ever were. And so we need to come into alignment with what his purposes are for our life because that will be leaving something of consequence that matters. Mm -hmm. And Greg, is it okay to say that one of the truths of the book of Ecclesiastes is that life is to be enjoyed? Yes. And and there's nothing wrong with with enjoying life. I mean, especially uh, because of what God gives us, making sure that on a daily basis we appreciate his blessings. And Debbie... And I were on, on the deck again today and just thinking about all that God has given us in the form of our children, in the form of our friends, in the bounty. And we are just so grateful. And it's just showing that appreciation because we know that he's the ultimate source of all of that. And we need to acknowledge it. That's what it means to fear God, to have this awesome respect for the majesty of mm-hmm. God. God wants us to enjoy life's simple pleasures, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. That's a comforting thought as well. Yes. So thank you uh, for spending time with me, Greg, and welcome back from your trip to Ireland. <laughs> Good to be number back. Number eight. You've got number nine already planned for I next sure year. I do. 55 days. Yeah, there may be room on the plane for you, Bill. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to consider that one. All right. Thank you, uh, Greg, and I'm looking forward to seeing pictures next time you come in. All right. I'll bring you, them. You should have some to uh, show off, don't you think? Yeah, just a few. <laughs> That's only fair. Actually, took three thousand pictures this time. Really? Yes. <laughs> oh wow, that's a lot of photos. Yes, it is. Yeah. And videos too. <laughs> oh wow. All right, that is uh, all the time we have for this hour. We're going to take a break and then come back. Dr. Glenn Pickering is going to be joining me, and I'm looking forward to uh, his time with us. Uh, you know, Glenn. You know, he's a thoughtful guy, and he is going to uh, spend entire hour with us. So I'm looking forward to hearing what uh, he's going to be teaching on today. We'll take a short break and be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.